Welcome to the Share Life Podcast with Jason Scott Montoya, where we explore stories and systems to live better and work smarter. In this Inspirational People interview, I'm speaking with Maria. Maria, say hello. Hello. Maria Joyner is the co-founder of Founderscale. On a prior episode of the podcast, I spoke with her co-founder, Josh Sweeney. For those not familiar, Founderscale is a, uh, helps organizations leverage HubSpot to increase sales and enhance marketing. Uh, Maria is an entrepreneur, marketing technologist, HubSpot specialist, and an American expat living and working with her husband and son in the jungles of Costa Rica. Her professional background includes email deliverability, marketing automation, and scaling B2B startups. She considers her greatest professional achievement surfing during the workday. So Maria, tell us about you and your story. Let's get started. Hey, Jason. Well, thanks for having me on today. Um, And that was a great introduction. (laughs) I actually did surf this morning, so I am continuing that that greatest professional achievement. Um, Well, as you mentioned, I'm down here in Costa Rica, um, but I haven't been down here my whole life. I was born and raised in Georgia, in Savannah, and grew up there, moved to Atlanta for college, um, and then was really active in the technology community in Atlanta. Um, that led to a helping grow a tech startup, email deliverability startup, uh, from zero to two million in a little over a year and a half. And um, that was a wonderful, crazy ride. And then I came to visit Costa Rica, and sort of. Uh, and, and what part of the U.S. The were you in? I was in Georgia, and um, at that time I was in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. Yeah. So how how different was Costa Rica when you when you landed? Well, I came down here just. Uh, it was a birthday trip to myself. So I think I bought the trip in May. And so the trip was actually in November. Um, and it was um, my first time traveling to Central America outside of like cruises I did as a teenager, which doesn't really count as any sort of like real travel. And we went to a permaculture farm that was off the grid. So hydroelectric, you know, grow everything they eat. Um, ecotourism, but really taken to the level, uh, like very authentic level. The entire yeah. property was really designed to work with the natural systems of nature. Um, and so that's where we went and stayed. Yeah. So all natural systems, right? Not these technology systems that we build, not these coding systems. And so we went there just, I was there with a group of friends. One of my good friends has a, um, a travel organization called under 30 experiences and they do small group travel for um, folks over 30 as well um, you don't be under 30 but it's groups of 12 to 15 and they go to these um, you know like very example like permaculture farms or it's very local um, conscious tourism and so we went and stayed at this this farm it's called Rancho Margot it's um, a little close to La Fortuna near the Arenal volcano in uh san or in, in costa rica and um when i got off the shuttle i felt like my soul jump out of my body <laughs> and i was like what is this feeling and i just looked around and we're in the middle of the jungle i think it was sprinkling and i just had this just this very just strong experience i'm like what was that that was strange and spent just the next five days just wow like how is this how does this place like this even exist yeah um and at the end of that, the last day of the trip, we do a rosebud and thorn. I think we did that every day. But the last night, we did a rosebud and thorn. And this whole time, I felt this connection to this place. I'm like, I have to come back and, like, see what's under the hood. Yeah. Um, because I just scratched the surface. You know, I'm like, well, how do they, if they have people who come visit here, then how do they grow enough food to support the groups? And I had all these questions. Yeah. Um, you know, I had all these questions, like, from a systems perspective, like, how do you make a system like this actually work? Yeah, and um, it turned out they had a um, a volunteer program. So you come stay for a month. You work in the garden, or um, there's there's a couple other I think uh, areas of focus you can choose, and you essentially get room and board in exchange for your time. Mm. So I was like, I'm gonna do that. Um, <laughs> had a company back in the states. We had our you know fast growing company, and I'm like, no, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. So. I talked to them and um, they were like, yeah, we can, we can make that happen next year. It was November. So I think it was going to be June of the next year, June, 2015. So I told everybody, I'm like, I'm coming back. I'm going to volunteer. This is going to be amazing. And I left. 
and um, went home and kind of started planting seeds around uh, with my co-founders and the company like, hey guys, maybe we should do this company-wide perk that anybody can work from anywhere they want and for the month of June. And this is back in 2015, right? This mm -hmm. is pre-COVID, remote work is, you know, I mean, it was obvious it still existed, but it wasn't like it is now. Yeah. And they were like, all right, Maria, let's do it. And so I was super pumped. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get to go <laughs> like live in the jungle. And so I had this all planned out and I was going to basically work in the early mornings for with my with my organization, work in the garden during the day, and then work in the evenings um, with my company. And um, everything went great when I got down there. Um, but as soon as I got there, I was like, this is not going to be a month. Like, I just knew. <laughs> I'm like, this is not going to be a month. Um, and it was an amazing experience, like really, truly amazing experience to see under the hood of this permaculture farm. Um, so, so amazing of experience that I really started questioning everything I was doing in life. Mm. I, I was super happy. I mean, I loved everything I had in the States. I loved growing a company. <clears throat> we did tech events every night. I helped organize startup weekends. It was really something that I just, I, like, I loved it all. But I was starting to question everything. Was it um and was it just a matter of like making or kind of considering such a big decision, sort of like a domino effect? Like I can remember in 2017 when we bought a house, I started thinking about things that I hadn't considered until I had sort of thought about buying the house. Right? Is it kind of that type of situation? So what or was going different? through my mind was really like, am I crazy? Like, have I just totally just, have I just mm. come to this place and completely just lost my mind to want to can even consider to leave everything that I've built in the States, like the team, the company, just the life, everything I built in the States to just move somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, and that's really what I was struggling with more so than mm. that. And it wasn't even, I couldn't even get to the point of what happens next. I was really in the point of like, like, have a, like, am I like, am I, am I insane right now? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and um, so it turned into did, three months. Yeah. Well, did that did that that sort of questioning your sanity? Did it lead you to want to figure out how to ground your decision, like that what you were doing was was uh, worthwhile and 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 justified? So, I think what this what this whole experience really led me to was. Get, just getting grounded enough to be able to turn off my brain and really listen to like what I want. You know, I, okay. I struggle to use hard because I don't mean hard in the sense of like love. I mean like from like a soul level from like really what I wanted because the brain is like, Maria, you have fast growing company. You guys have 15 employees, like all of these things, like you're on that. You're going to lose everything. If you, if you do this, like all of these things, in my brain are like saying these these things are very true yes but inside I'm like do I really even does that what's what matters yeah. you know and I think this process really got me to a place of learning to be completely silent and really listening and identifying what was the brain the brain that doesn't want change you know the brain that wants us to kind of stay in the same place and you know it doesn't want to get out of the bed in the mornings to go you know to go out and walk or it kind of doesn't yeah. like change versus you know, maybe the soul or the heart or whatever you want to call it, you know, whatever, whatever word, you know, we can insert here that's really screaming out like, this is really what I want to do. And, and so that's, that was really the struggle was learning to silence the brain enough to make sure that, that this, that the soul piece, the intuition piece, the heart piece was really authentic. And it was. Yeah. So how do you um like how do you contextualize the 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 change of the life you lived and the life you were living in the sense that like looking back at that time through the lens of what you've now experienced how do you see that Well I love it. I mean I still feel it's just amazing like I love I love like I love the life I had in Atlanta and um everything that I built with the team and I, I look at it fondly you know I yeah. miss those I miss going to startup weekends and being totally immersed in technology and all these ideas and 
if you don't, if you, anybody doesn't know what a startup weekend is, it's essentially like a, a 72 hour hackathon where people come and pitch these ideas. And then there's people who write code. So developers, there's designers, there's business people, there's marketers, and they yeah. basically build and launch a product over, over a weekend. Um, so I like look fondly back on those memories and I'm super grateful I had them because I mean, it was so much fun. It's really, it's it's a lot of work, but it's so much fun building a technology startup, yeah. you know, and it's so much fun building a community. Uh, so I look back on that really fondly. During that time though, when I look back on myself during that time, like when I, I, left, I left Costa Rica, obviously went back to the States to try to drop back into my life. Um, yeah. Just pretend like nothing happened. Like, oh, just go back to everything normal, um, which I couldn't do. But when I look back at the few, the month or two that I was in the States, it's almost like I was watching a movie reel. Mm. Like I can go back to the, to the moment and I, that I had the conversation with my, like my business co-founders and they were like, dude, just go. Yeah. Like, it's so obvious that you're just like, you just, just go. Like it's there. It's so obvious that that's where you want to be. And, um, you know, like, please. And, um, so it's like looking back on, on a movie when I look back at that, um, because I don't get any of those things now. Like I'm in the jungle and coat. I mean, I'm not in straight jungle. I mean, there's this supermarket <laughs> down the road. Right. Um, but I don't, there's, there's no having conversations about building technology applications or, you know, running into somebody who's like, Oh yeah, I'm working on this idea. Or there's not those serendipitous connections that I would have in tech square in Atlanta mm -hmm. or in Atlanta tech village in Buckhead. Yeah. So it sounds like in a, in a lot of ways, it's, it's not that you were escaping some some uh, dreaded existence. It's, it's that you were really going, leaving something you loved and moving just towards something different and something that you loved more. Right. Definitely. From, yeah. So how did you like what advice would you give to someone that's like in that place that you were in Atlanta? Uh, maybe they're considering that leap, that crazy leap. Um, or maybe they've made that decision and now they're they're questioning it like you were. Like, what kind of advice would you give to that person? I think it is to when when there you feel like, oh my gosh, I need to pick up somebody and call them about this and get some of their opinion. When you have that feeling or those thoughts and like you're able to stop and be like, no, the only person I need to ask is myself. And it's okay. like being able to stop the urge to go external, like to get advice from somebody else or ask them what they think about this and stop and really focus internally. And so that's the first thing because well, when we make big decisions, yeah. so, go ahead. Well, I was please. gonna say, dive a little deeper into that because that internal, um, like I think to to a, to a large degree, that external um, desire, we're looking for that influence or, or even authority at some point to to sort of shape how we're shape how we're how we're kind of contextualizing this situation and decision um but there i think what you're describing is is you're not just making a decision to to move you're also kind of taking self authorship of your life is what i'm hearing um i, I don't know if that's uh something you relate to but i'd be curious if you could dive deeper into that yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting concept um, that maybe I just breeze over, but it's a practice <laughs> that takes a lot, that's taken a long time to, to develop. Um, and I think this is like, I mean, this is a pretty big topic because from the a young age, we're already being primed to want certain things or to believe certain things or how we define success is already being shaped from a really young age. And I think even, I mean, even now I'd say that is more true than when I was a child, you know, I mean, and I think that's, it's actually to a, a faster degree at which kids are exposed to this is success and this is what you need to mm -hmm. do to get there. Like when I have conversations yeah. with my friends and they're like, if we go travel for a year, they're going to be late for pre-K and they're going to be behind. I'm like, this is like that. So it's that example of things. So kids are starting yeah. at a young age to be, in, I don't want to say indoctrinated, but really indoctrinated on what, what and how, and, and just all these different ideals. And so well, would, you even, would you, would you also even say that there's, there's a, almost an infinite 
amount of conflicting definitions of what that even is in terms of what success is for a kid or for yourself. Totally. Or a human, you know, like I, I think that success is such a relative term because if you ask somebody, you know, if you had all the time and money in the world, what would you be doing? People who truly understand what success means to them, like in a way that this is what fulfills me. And I think that's that maybe that's the other caveat is fulfillment versus success. You know, you can have success and not be fulfilled. And so Mm -hmm. maybe that's the, you know, maybe that's the key there is looking for fulfillment versus an external definition of success and then adjusting your internal definition of success to be more focused on like what's fulfilling. Yeah. So how would you differentiate uh, the difference between achievement and fulfillment? And, and how would one synthesize the two into overlapping versus uh, um, maybe antagonistic ideas? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great question. And, um, you know, I think when you look at from, you know, an acad- a strictly like academic standpoint, right? Achievement would be getting straight A's, right? And mm-hmm. or being the valedictorian or, you know, being the top 10 of the class, like maybe that's viewed as achievement. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the, that that person feels fulfilled. And so, in some ways, achievement sounds more of an external, and fulfillment sounds more of an internal. But they can totally both be related. And like you mentioned, they could probably also, you know, achievement can also maybe lead to lack of fulfillment because the desire to achieve gets such a narrow focus that we go after that so much that we kind of, you know, forget, you know, what why we why we started the journey in the first place. Yeah. So I, I think it's part of what I'm hearing from you, correct me if I'm mis summarizing this, but in terms of my request for you to give advice to someone that's in this kind of state of, sh- of change, one, it's, it, it is to be, to, to take those steps towards self-authorship, um, not to ignore the, these voices, but I think also to kind of shift the priority of like these voices have shaped who we are and what we do to a degree that I now have to sort of subordinate those to something higher. Um, and, and I have to figure out what that is before I can even hear those voices. Um, is that, is that a helpful way to kind of make sense of it? Yeah. And I, there's always, there's always like extreme examples, right? If you're thinking about like quitting your job and moving with, you know, $500 saved, probably everybody's telling you that's not a good idea. They're probably correct. Right. (laughs) So there's definitely, you know, there's definitely exceptions to that, but I think the bigger, I think the bigger thing is what I've found is at least what I've seen around me is sometimes when we have really big ideas, a couple of the people who are closest to us may not be supporters of those ideas and they can discourage them. And Mm -hmm. so I think the bigger advice would be to somebody who's thinking about doing something like this is finding someone who's done it and talking to them and connecting with them and having that person to be like, Hey, am I, am I actually crazy? Or is this normal? You know, to have, have somebody who's gone through what you've gone through to get that Mm. gut check. I think that that is really important. And then you have an ally and then you have a, you know, Hey, when should I hit the emergency parachutes, you know, to, to get out of this, or should I just keep flying and keep going? Yeah. So there's also an alignment of, I guess, values in that sense or experiences, um, someone that's gone before you. So um, like when you were going through that, because you're questioning everything, like what was the grounding um, vision that that you attached to to kind of give you clarity So I was so impressed at where I was, um, yeah. the loca- the physical location of where I was, Rancho Margot. I mean, it is incredible. Um, yeah. And I was so amazed by how the natural systems all work together. And I was just, I mean, almost infatuated by just the lifestyle. Like if I had a question, I had to go find the person and ask them. Like I yeah. couldn't just text them or call them. Like I had to physically yeah. go find them and ask them a question. And so I wanted, I my I, my plan, my clarity was I'm doing this. Yeah. I'm going to leave the United States and I'm going to move to Costa Rica. I'm going to find a piece of land and this is what I want to do. I want to build a permaculture farm, you know, and um, I mean, I really clearly had it all laid out um, when I made the leap. 
And so I very clearly made the leap to come to come here, to come to Costa Rica to start a new project. And that's what helped me like do that. Mm. And so would, yeah, that's interesting because it sounds like you experienced something so profound that you didn't quite know what to make of it, but you knew you needed to be a part of it. Right. Yeah. So um, you mentioned there were two things, two or another thing of advice. Uh, do you remember what the second thing was? The first was like sort of closing out the other voices, but do you remember what the second was? Um, I mean, it was like, it was not listening to, it was ex- the external voices but it was also being able to sit in silence and really mm-hmm. truly understand, like really go inside, you know, and, you know, some meditation is a great way to, to get to this place, prayer, really, whatever, like whatever the route is. Um, if some people would do it through running long distances, surfing, I mean, there's yeah. different ways to find the stillness inside, but the, the advice is to, to find that vehicle, whatever that vehicle is for, for you and to be able to find the stillness, to be able to start understanding really truly what it is that that you want. I think it's really easy, for at least for me, to be like, I don't want that. Mm-hmm. But I think what I've always been really fascinated by from, for myself personally is I'm so bad at knowing what I want. Yeah. Like I'm just not good at it. And the way that I have started to circumnavigate that is starting to listen to getting to the place of stillness and being like, all right, yeah, this is something that I really yeah. like want to go after. Well, I, I would I would say that your experience of not knowing what you want is is more common or is quite common. Um, in fact, most people veil what they want even to themselves, right? So how would you help someone navigate and not everything we want is also good either. So there's that too. How would you how would you tell someone to to figure the to navigate that those desires and also to um, to, to appropriately order them as well. Well, I mean, that's, um, it's not, it's definitely not an easy thing to do. Um, I think writing and reflecting is important. Like when we're going through really big changes in life, the more that we can get out of our brain and the more we can get on paper is, is really important because once it's on paper, it gives, it frees up our brain to kind of go a little deeper and process. Um, so I think that's important. Um, you know, if we go back to like the brain versus heart, there's always the list making. So like the pros and cons <laughs> and like the pros of this decision, the cons of that decision and actually looking at the pros and cons. And if the, if the con, and really seeing are the are the things in the pro list or the things in the con list are they items are one are some of them items that are are there because of fear of change and really understanding like what where these feelings of resistance are coming from um mm-hmm. so are these fear is this fear of resistance coming from the fear of change like I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't speak fluent Spanish, you know, or, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know. There's no hot water, you know, or there's, there's things like, are these fear of change or are these actual real like cons or or problems or things that are red flags, red flags is a better word. Um, And I think at some point we just have to learn to be like, all right, I'm going to trust myself on this. And if I fail, then I learn. I think also the bigger thing is not being scared to fail. Like when we do big stuff, like if I, if I moved here and a year and a half in, and this happens, this happens to quite a few expats and not just in Costa Rica, but in other countries and Costa Rica, especially because things are not efficient here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you move down in a year and a half. I'm like, this is miserable. You also have to have the courage to be like, all right, I tried it. I followed my heart. That was amazing. I got to give myself credit for following my heart and listening to what I wanted, but this isn't the right thing for me. And I can go, and now I'm going to go find the next thing. I think being okay with that is really important because we can't beat ourselves up if something doesn't work. We tried it, you know, and that's really something to celebrate is trying the the crazy idea or doing the thing because you did the thing and everybody else around you, they're still doing their thing that they were doing when you left to do the thing. Yeah. Yeah. So any any other advice you'd give to someone that's uh, in the middle of that decision making process or have made the leap and uh, they're 
the trucks in the in the in the driveway and they're about to leave <laughs> you know um just do it yeah so, i yeah. mean the trucks if the trucks in the driveway let's just go <laughs> just go yeah. and make it happen i will say one thing um just like practical advice um i would definitely visit and really know before you buy one thing we see, I see commonly is um, when people are ready to leave the United States, their 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 minds made up, and so they buy. Um, things don't flip as fast in in other countries as they may as real estate may flip in the United States. Um, to the extent of you can buy a house and have, still have it ten years later. So I think if you really are seriously thinking about making the move, I would really recommend spending a little bit more time finding a place to rent before making the decision to purchase. I know that's not viable for some people. Some people have to sell a home and buy a new home, but if you can do that, that's um, that could save you, you know, some some pain in the long run. Um, so that would be the only like real practical advice I would give. Yeah. So you land in Costa Rica. You know, what did you learn? from that experience uh, about living better? Well, it's Costa Rica. There is a phrase here in Costa Rica. If anybody listening to this has ever been to Costa Rica, they've certainly heard it. It's called Porta Vida, like, and it means the pure life. And it's a mindset. So living better, you know, is really about a mindset. Um, and Porta Vida really, like, really supports that whole mindset. So, for me, I am a product of my environment. So, you know, put me in the hustle bustle of the tech community and I will be at every event. I'm going to be, you know, working, you know, 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. It's just I'm a product of my environment because I like thrive off of that. Put me in the jungle of Costa Rica and things come down at like quite a few notches. And we're a product of that environment. And wow, what an amazing environment that is to be a product of. You're breathing air that's literally just come out of the trees. You know, you're drinking water from the mountain. Um, you know, you just have these, uh, you're just so much more connected to like nature and the land and all of this. And so I think for me personally, living better is putting myself in an environment that I can thrive in the majority of the pillars in my life, right? And so if the pillars are like, or what, like, family, community, business, personal, and spiritual, you know, if those, if those are pillars, I kind of just rattled those off. Um, but I may not be able to like thrive and go find the next company to acquire to grow our company in the jungles of Costa Rica, but the other four pillars I'm able to thrive in. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it's really identifying the location that, that can help the, the empower me to thrive the most I can as a human. Right. And then, fly to Atlanta, go get dinner with you, Jason, or, you know, spend a, spend a week or two with my co-founder. And, you know, I can go get, you know, I can go there for that, but I can come back here to a place that I thrive. And it's really about that for me being in this environment. And it's, the environment is what's around us. It's also what we're hearing every day. So Porta Vida mindset, walk into a restaurant in Costa Rica and you could, I mean, or anywhere really, if you're just walking around, I very rarely hear people just generally complaining, yeah. you know, like if it's just complaining, I generally, if somebody's like, oh, well, my house got flooded last night, Puerto Vida, and that's it, <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, we got to fix it now. And so it's really, um, it's really a beautiful mindset. And there's obviously negatives to that too. It's like, hey, I have a hole in my ceiling in the office. It's <laughs> literally pouring water in here. <laughs> Porta Vida. I'm like, no, I need no Porta Vida right now. I need you to come fix the hole in my office. So there's a balance with that. Um, but all jokes aside, I mean, living better is really, it's really a mindset and it's, you know, and then for me, it's really being a product of my environment to where it makes it easy for me to go, go out and surf or go run or be in nature or easily reconnect with things that make me personally thrive. Yeah. Does that also imply like, do you think the the contrast between your Atlanta life and, and your life in Costa Rica has given you more clarity on on the on the things that the, the environmental pieces that give you what you're talking about? Like, could you would you be more likely to be able to recreate what you have now in a, in a, in a new context if you were to do it again at some point in your future? 
I think it's a constant evolution, but I don't think I would have this perspective without having lived in Atlanta and here for, for an extended mm. period of time. I've been down here for, it's, it's going to be going on seven years. Um, and I was in Atlanta for about 10. And so I have a pretty good pulse from a time, like, you know, perspective, you know, looking back is, you know, it's, it's super, it's vital. Um, as far as recreating again in the future, I think it's always evolving. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't, um, for me, it's an evolution, but I will, the one thing I will say on that is every time, like every time I think life can't get better. I mean, before I moved to Costa Rica, it was amazing. I was super happy. It gets better, you know? And I think, so I think for me, it's just imagining like, what's a better version of this life right now and thinking through that and creating that zero yeah. and that more balance. So for me, that more balanced version would probably be more frequent trips to get my professional simulation, Yeah. more frequent trips to the States to get that to professional simulation and maybe being a little bit more kind of in nature, but the nature piece can be challenging because I'm, I'm an, I work online, so I have to have great internet. Before I lived where I live now, we lived in the mountains, but I had two megs of internet at home. Yeah. It's really hard to run a business off of two megs of internet. So the only thing I would change now is more frequent states, trips to the states and in creating a more, I want to be, I would probably be more in the jungle than I am right now, like mm. more in the jungle, but you got to balance that out, right? Maybe with, um, with Starlink, maybe I can, maybe I can have that realized. <laughs> I mean, that's definitely been on the radar for sure. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I think one of the, also the kind of contrast, one of the things you said earlier, like the pro, like you talked about making the list, the pros and the cons, I, I think there's, um, uh, fundamentally there, there's also like the tip where the pros and cons are usually the tip of the iceberg in the sense of like, we have no idea what, what entails us on the other side of that decision. And so without making that leap, um, like rationally speaking, we, we may not be able to even imagine or, or uh, uh, I guess imagine would be the right word to imagine the possibilities um, unless we do it, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I mean, if you, have, if you have someone that has made that leap, you obviously can listen to their story, but even that is limited because it's just them telling you the story. It's not you going there and being this, having this profound experience and then living there and so on and so forth, right? Yeah, and I'll experience aren't profound either you know like I had this profound experience and then I moved to Costa Rica after having this profound experience and that profound experience was able to carry me through kind of like difficult situations like I'm not saying I moved down here and it's just been incredible and amazing and I haven't had like lots of challenges and hurdles and things to overcome I mean it's 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 life it's a second world country there's a lot to overcome um but I think that yeah. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I say, what, what advice would you have to someone? Okay. They made the decision. They've made the leap. They have arrived on the other side and how do they make the most of it? How do they, um, how do they really take advantage of that opportunity and, and make sure that whether it succeeds or fails, it's not because they didn't put in the effort or activity to do that. I think it's, I think that the answer to that really depends on the person um, and their motivations for moving. I mean, as does anything, but to make the most out of it, I would highly recommend being in a place where you maybe have some contact with somebody from your home country. So maybe a place that you can find a, an expat nearby, but you're mostly immersed by locals. I think local immersion is really important. Also the desire to like, live this lifestyle. So if I came down here and I wanted to get, you know, my athletic greens from New Zealand shipped every month, not happening. Like it's, <laughs> it's literally just, it's not happening. It can't happen. It's impossible. It's not impossible, but I'd be paying three times the price because of import laws, but mm. I'm okay with that. I'm willing to, you know, change my diet or change the things that I've been accustomed to in the States that were easy and maybe, you know, make salads with more, you know, more different types <laughs> of lettuce or have other ways. But for me, it was really immersing. So my diet right now is rice, beans, a protein salad, and usually plant plantains. Um, and that's a pretty common diet. Um, obviously, that's not every day, but that's, that's a pretty common diet here. 
in Costa Rica. And it's really, um, it's affordable. Um, now when locals come over, there's a lot of benefits to it and you're eating stuff that's sourced from the land. And so if I had made the decision to move to Costa Rica and still be getting the, the protein shakes and the supplements and all the things that I love to get, um, you know, home delivery, you know, Amazon subscribe and save all of that every month, then my experience would have been very different. It would have been very frustrating. It would have been going Mm -hmm. to the post office and if you think the post office in the United States is bad, <laughs> come to the post office in Costa Rica. Um, but if you go into the post office a lot, customs a lot, it just would have been a whole different experience just from a decision as small as adjusting my diet to match the local diet. Mm. So I think immersion is, is really important. Learning the language is so important. So wherever you go, I think that that's a critical piece of it. Um, because one, it helps you grow as a person. I mean, learning a language helps pave new pathways in your brain. It does a bunch of positive things um, for your mental health, but it also helps you communicate people with, you know, with the, the local population. And I think that that authentic connection becomes really beautiful. Um, so that would be the second recommendation would be learning the language and get a local tutor or, you know, um, don't just Duolingo, right? Like, well, and how much of the language? So, there's like the literal language, but also, what about like the cultural language and just the uh, the the values and and orientation of of the of the people? How would you? Was that part of that language, or are you saying more just literally learn the language? I I think that's a really great point, Um, and I think there are plenty of people who learn the language but don't learn the cultural language. So, I think that's a really um, a really great point, and. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's the heart. If you don't know the language, it gets harder to learn the cultural language. You can learn it, but I think that that's a really, um, that's really often overlooked. And, and that can, you know, I can't think of a, I mean, what, what's going to my mind right now is surfing, but the surf code is, I think, the same everywhere in the world. But if I'm a foreigner going to the beach, I'm not gonna steal away from a local, right? And so that's a cultural context. I mean, that's true anywhere in the world. I mean, I think anywhere in the world from a surfing perspective, but um, I think that, yeah, that's 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 really important. I'm trying to think something that's specific to Costa Rica that would be a big shock, but I know that there are other cultures that there are cultural cues that are much more of a larger shock than, than what I experienced coming down here. Yeah, so, so let's talk about the on the work side of things. So what does it look like to work smarter? And what have you learned about that from from your time there? So uh, I've been I mean, is it just a matter of surfing? You know, is that what it's, it it's really, I, <laughs> I wish I could do that. I wish I could say that I could I could balance my work life balance so well that I could surf every day, but definitely not the case. Definitely go weeks without without it sometimes. Um So working smarter to me is, again, it's really a mindset and it's really about having like a results only focus. So ever since even early, early in my career, my mindset has been what is the most direct way for me to make the biggest impact? And that's kind of what been, that's been my North Star with really anything I do. If it's with any client engagement, any project I do, like what is the most direct way to make like the biggest impact? Um, And so I think that a lot of that has formed, you know, the way that we run founder scale, like we're a results only an organization, you know, so if you can find a way from going from, you know, A to B much shorter than the way that we've been doing, then let's do that. So I think that's one piece. Um, Working smarter has also evolved, especially, you know, I always, I always hate referring to COVID because I feel like it's so overused now, but it really has like working smarter, the definition of that has probably changed as a society since COVID in the sense that, okay, well now I can, you know, work right up until I have to pick up, you know, or have to run, you know, the nanny gets off, you know, and so I have to take care of my son. So I don't even have to have a commute from my work to my house. I just am there, you know, once my nanny's done. So I think that that context, I definitely agree with that. I'm definitely all on the, like, I love the flexibility of being able to run, go get a wave and then come back to work or, you know, from that perspective, but really like working smarter, turn that air on, it's getting a little warm in here. Um, From working smarter, um, I think the other thing too is from a, one of our values at Founderscale is 10X. 
And that's internal and external. So it's like, how can we 10x anything we do? So if we deliver a project for a client and we were going to deliver it 10 times, how would we change the way we delivered that to be able to deliver it 10 times? And then how can we also provide 10 times the value? And so we're always having this mindset of like 10xing the value or the way that we do things. And essentially that leads to scalability. It leads to driving more results and it leads to bigger impact. Um, yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's shift towards this topic of mentoring. What do you think about mentoring and how, what, how important is it or not? Uh, so I'm a huge fan of mentoring. Um, I did a lot more of it pre pre Costa Rica than than I do now. Um, but I'm a huge fan of mentoring. I'm a big fan of coaching, being coached. And I think mentor can be, you know, something that you you can call it advisor, mentor, coach, you know, there's a lot of words that you can put for, you know, use for the word mentoring. Um, I think it's important to be mentored. And I also think it's really important to mentor. Um, and Obviously, the benefits of being mentor, you have the you have the insight of somebody who's been there before, done that before, and you know they can help you along your journey. Um, but I think the benefits of mentoring, you know, beyond of just giving back, I think mentoring really helps. I mean, at least me learn how to be a better business leader. And like one example that I think a lot about is like I I have a lot of coaches in my life. I have a running coach. I have a strength coach. Um, um, I think I have, I, well, I guess those are the only two coaches that I have right now. Um, I feel like there's another one, but anyway, and I'm a big fan of having coaches because, you know, they know things better than we do. And it's the same thing as mentors, but from a mentorship perspective, one of the things that I found to be the, the biggest benefit to me is that I learned how to be a be better business leader. And one example was when you tell someone how to do something versus when you ask them questions so they can determine how to do it themselves. Mm, yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. So would you say there's a distinct difference between mentoring, the mentoring culture between the two countries of Costa Rica and America? Or is it? Um, I mean, I haven't really, to be honest, since I like moved down here, I haven't really attempted to do any like mentoring here. Um, and neither have I tried to do it remote. Um, so I can't really speak to, to if there's any difference in mentoring. Um, I can say that the location, location is pretty important um, here in Costa Rica. So typically if somebody, um, if somebody finds a job, they move to, to go like, um, so if they, if you want to get a good job, you move to San Jose, you move to the city. You're not yeah. going to be out in the jungle. So most of the opportunities are already going to be mentoring like technology companies or anything like that. Most of those opportunities would be in the cities. Mm, okay. Uh, so let's talk about stories. What are some uh, real or fictional narratives or stories that have shaped you as a person? Well, um, I don't know if you or any of your listeners have ever listened or ever read The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho. I, I'm not familiar um, with it, but I've never read it. Yeah. It's a, it's a really famous book about this boy who goes to search and treasure and he goes throughout this whole journey to to essentially um you know discover who he is and you know he finds his treasure and it's this great story yeah well if you've read it like i read this book on the way back from costa rica to atlanta so after <laughs> i had this hugely profound experience i read the book on the way back and it was the nail in the coffin mm. because essentially there's all these beautiful i wish i had um I wish I had pulled a couple of quotes, but there's all these beautiful quotes in it around like following your heart and like finding the stillness. So some of these themes that we you know I've talked about today, um, it's really all about going on the journey and following the journey because the journey is going to lead you where you want to go or like where you really need to go. Um, and so that book was really profound, um, especially because it made I me, mean, it's what made me make the final decision to move. Um, like I knew after I knew when I landed back in the United States, I was like, it's done. I'll give it, mm. I'll give it a couple months, but I, I knew after reading that book. So definitely read that book. It's really wonderful. It's fiction. I'm not a big fiction reader. I primarily read business nonfiction, yeah. um, but that book definitely, um, life-changing. Yeah. Which is a little I, bit of a cliche, but yeah, um, yeah. a lot of people say it's a life-changing book, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to jump on that bandwagon. Yeah. Yeah. How would you say narrative uh, plays out when you, when you think about the companies and clients you work with? 
in terms of how narratives, mean? in terms of how the narratives shape how they think about business, how they operate, who they are, what they do, um, how they interact with you, whether or not they think they, that you can help them, things like that. So we primarily, so I've been an entrepreneur my whole career. I gra- I, I went to art school, um, started a photography business after art school, then started a marketing firm and, you know, I'm here today. Um, so I've always had, so I've had businesses. I feel that pain. Um, I felt the pain of growing. I felt the pain of scaling, um, having a team, losing a team, all of those things. So we work primarily with founders of um, B2B services companies. So when we engage with the founders, like we viscerally know what they're going through and what they're feeling Mm. from a business perspective, a dollar to a founder is very different than a dollar to a corporation. So Mm -hmm. when we work with founders and founders um, and we engage with them, I mean, we're immediately speaking the same language. And another unique there is we don't only work with services founders. I've worked with e-commerce and SaaS and I've done quite a bit in that arena, but we work with a lot of B2B services. And B2B services is unique in the sense that you're not going out and no one's writing you a $5 million check to grow your B2B services (laughs) business. Maybe if you're making an acquisition, you'll get that check, but nobody's, but they, they really don't get um, funded in the same way baskets. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're typically just the, 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 the way to grow them is typically done initially by the founders more network. People know, like, and trust the founder, they give them the business and that's how the founder gets to, you know, their first $700,000 million in sales. We yeah. primarily, our sweet spot is founders who are over a million um, and we help them get to those next milestones. Um, but once you build that business up and to getting you to the next milestone, you really have to go from being like doing founder led sales to the founders doing all the sales for the organization to where you have a team, whether that, that be sales marketing, you basically have a team that's, that's doing the sales on your behalf. Yeah. Um, Cause to really get to the next level of working on the business, they want to get to where they were working on the business and not in the business. And that's sort of like, like been there, done that. Like I know that pain. Yeah. Um, and so, the so what's the narrative? Really yeah. Well, yeah. I was gonna say, what's the narrative in their head that's holding them back to making that leap? So it's really, I mean, it's hard. It's really hard. And what worked for other people's businesses? Like what someone could be like, oh yeah, I sent an email and got like five deals. Well, you have to have <laughs> a lot of context on that, right? Oh, really? You sent an email? You sent it to? a list of 200 people that are super, super warm that you've engaged with over the past, you know, of course you, you know, context is everything, right? So it's hard to go from you being the one to drive all the sales and then have a team doing it. So the first thing, the first, if we're talking about, if we're talking about mental blocks, it's like, they don't know, like Mm -hmm. they don't know. They just really don't know what to, to try. And they probably tried a lot of things, but a lot of those things work for bigger companies, but they don't work for mm. companies of that size. Yeah. Um, and it's, they wasted a lot of money. They're scared to try something else. It's a, it's, it's, it's scary. You know, it's scary to, to risk a lot to scale, but it's also that the option is risking and scaling or staying, you know, yeah. staying, staying where you are, which some, sometimes are okay with not the ones we've worked with, yeah. but some people are okay with that, you know? So is it, is that the same narrative uh questions and doubts that you had when you made your decision to go to costa rica like you said everyone you know might say well you you have everything to lose you'll the risk is too high right no i mean i i i there was no uh, there was no doubt like not even the smallest kernel of doubts ran a sand out in my mind that this was the right decision for me. Well, um, I'm not saying that it wasn't the right decision, but I'm just saying those essentially for the person that is struggling to make the leap, they are having those doubts, those questions. Or are they? Um, the leap like in their, in their organization. Yeah. In terms of like, obviously you're, 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 they're working with you to help them make, that transition into that scale but there's some like there's something they're lacking that's keeping them from doing that and so these fears the you know that there's a lot at stake for them to make that transition and like you said if they've tried things and it hasn't worked 
are those fears essentially clouding um, the possibility? I'll give you a, a practical example. I had this with a client once. He um, he tried something, didn't work, and was like done with it. And when he ended up hiring, working with me, um, I said, I think we should really try this. And he said, oh, it didn't work and it lost a lot of money. I said, well, what if he did it differently? And he still was just resistant, resistant. So I kind of went around um, to this vendor. I kind of worked, told them all the concerns they had, and they were willing to sort of accommodate all of them. And I said, okay, they're willing to accommodate all your concerns and restructure how you interface with them so that all your concerns are addressed. Would you be interested in trying this? And so reluctantly, he tried it, and it ended up uh, generating like 20% of the, the business's revenue uh, within a year. So it was like the very thing that he needed to grow his business was the very thing he was fighting, actively fighting me against. So I don't know if that's helpful in contextualizing my, my question, but that's an example. Yeah. And we see that all the time. Like, oh, that didn't work for me. And it's like, yeah, yeah the way you did it didn't work for you because it wouldn't work that way for your business. <laughs> and so I think yeah. a lot of it's context. I think a lot of this is building trust. I mean, and it's different. It's yeah. different when you sell to a corporation than when you sell to a founder. It's really building trust and being their guide on that journey and being an ally with them. It's not you sign the check and now we're delivering the service. It's really being an ally with them and helping them beyond what, you know, maybe, you know, beyond what the actual delivery is of like, hey, we have these other ideas that just want to share with you that may be helpful for you and your organization. And so I think by positioning ourselves because we've been there and we were, we're there in many, in many ways, right. Yeah. By positioning ourselves as the guide and someone who can help them and works and walks with them. Um, I think that that's the mm. really, that's a really important narrative that is different mm. than if we were working with like a corporation. Um, I think yeah. that's a really big narrative change and that's mm. really important for us too, because we, we, we don't want to work with people who don't want to improve and grow and don't have the same values as we do. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause it's, um, yeah, there's a lot of layers there. I guess the thing I'd be curious for you to dive into deeper would be this trust, this trust piece. Cause I think in a, at least, I mean, I think this might be globally, but in America, we have a trust problem in our institutions and our leaders and each other, you know, everyone's, um, kind of, got this uh, almost cynicism towards each other. So uh, how do you how do you reconcile that trust uh, piece? How do you cultivate it? How do you navigate um, against uh, cynicism? Is that, a, is that is that a factor you deal with a lot in in the business and with the clients and types of clients? You know, there? not well. I wouldn't go with cynicism. Um, I think that we do our good job of self-selecting the people we want to work with um, because work makes up like a third of my life, right? More than a yeah. third of my life. And I want to work with people I enjoy working with. Mm. Um, and if we get to a point in an engagement where we realize that our values are different or the, like we don't agree with, you know, the client's cynical, or, you know, we have certain things yeah. that, you know, maybe we're not aligned on, well, we just end the engagements, you know, and yeah. like find the move on. I think that's, that's really important. Um, I mean, I think that's, that's the, the first piece is really so being very careful mm. about who you work with. I mean, just yeah. like who you bring into your personal life, is just the same thing as who you bring into your business life. And I mean, yeah. that's kind of one of the, like, I don't, I mean, definitely benefits of having more having a, your own company or owning a company is you can choose who to work mm. with and who not to work with. Um, and, but I'm, that's not to say that we don't work with founders that are like, that's not going to work, but they <laughs> trust us enough. If they're like, yeah. well, that's not going to work. They trust us enough. Like, but I'll let you try it. And we're like, and then if it doesn't work, like, great, you're right. Um, it usually works, but you know, there's that trust factor. So mm. I think for us, I think the number one thing is trust and they can, you know, I don't think, I don't, I can't even remember really a movie one client we worked with that was really cynical, yeah. you know? So I think that it's also an alignment of values. Um, and that's really important when self-selecting. Yeah. You know, so how do you cultivate with. that trust? Well, I think we, just like the client, the organizations we help, mo a lot of our sales come from a warm, trusted network. Um, mm. So my co-founder is heavily involved in entrepreneurs organization, EO. Um, so he speaks to a lot of founders all the time that are going through what we're going through. Mm -hmm. um, so we work with a lot of EO members um, because we have, we're, we're, we're walking through yeah. the same journey right now. Um, that's one way. 
Um, and then I think the other way is really education. Um, it's educating them early and often and really making sure they understand the why. That's the second, like the, the why we're doing this and the education piece without getting too in the weeds. Um, and then the third piece is expectation management and giving them a timeline uh, and what to expect. So yeah. if we know this initiative is going to take six months before we see any sort of positive return on it, being very upfront about that and reinforcing that, like, these are the things that we are doing now that's going to have a result then. And this is, you know, this is what to expect. Um, I think that those are the, the, kind of the three most important things. Yeah. So I, what you're also talking about is, and we can shift towards is systems, right? So how do you have systems that help accomplish these types of goals? So how do you think about and, and use systems? You mentioned earlier that you're kind of like systemically minded. So tell us about that. Which is interesting because I am systemically minded, but I'm certainly not like engineer minded. I always mm -hmm. joke, my younger sister, she's a, she's a mechanical engineer. She, she builds um, schematics for boom trucks, the trucks that yeah. work on the electrical lines. I always joke that I'm the artist and she's the engineer. Um, and that's very true. But so just want to call that out systematically <laughs> minded, perhaps. Um, but, you know, you know, when I, when I think about these systems, I mean, it's, you know, when I kind of was thinking about this question, I was really thinking about how can we mimic more in our, in our, in our lives to, to mimic natural systems that can work mm. without the intervention of other people. Um, so I studied, I got my permaculture design certificate a couple of years ago and, um, and like, uh, and permaculture is a way of designing and caring for land that essentially um, we're land stewards, you know, we focus on using things multiple times. Um, there's a lot of strategy that goes into it, but essentially the greater idea is that if I have this piece of land that's designed as a perma and, and designed in the permaculture way, then I can leave that land and everything functions without my interaction. Mm -hmm. You know, you have a, you have a monoculture, you know, you're growing a bunch of corn, you leave that corn, the corn's going to die, you know, but if you have this, this systems that you systems that you build and they all work together these natural systems, then it all works. If you, if you remove yourself from the system. Yeah. So, and that's how we think about systems when it comes to founders, like we need to apply that exact thought to the mm. founder building their business and their system. So if they want to go, you know, out on the boat tomorrow morning, or they want to go golfing or want to go surf, the system's running without them having to. Yeah. It. Yeah. So what is that? So in terms of like the literal uh, land management approach as the gardener or the steward of that land who is creating a, a, a land ecosystem that's sustaining without them, how does that change the role, that person's role with that land? Like what is their part in it at that point if the system runs without them? Helping the system thrive. Okay. Yeah, helping the system thrive, looking at the system from like a higher perspective and seeing what more can we do to help the system thrive. So in the land perspective, if we if we know that this is how we can plant a forest of food that's going to produce food without any action, then that forest is producing. But now what, what we want to do is we want to probably see the health of the trees, like look back, is there anything that we can do to this whole system to make the whole system better? So it's very much that CEO visionary mindset of like the CEO as a visionary versus the CEO working in the business. You yeah. know, we're not planting the trees anymore. We're actually looking at them and being like, okay, how can we make this whole entire mm. system better versus a singular element of the system, which the singular element would be like sales or marketing or, yeah, yeah. you know, operations. So it allows them to intervene in a way that's less, it's less about keeping it alive, but more about, okay, how do, here's some area that we could actually kind of grow it or accelerate its growth or whatever. Um, yeah. Or just we like trim better. the trees. We trim the trees. So next, so next year when the mangoes come in, there's way more mangoes on the tree, right? Yeah. We, we cut the, you know, we cut the banana leaves off and put it on the ground. And then that creates, um, you know, produces soil in the ground and healthier soil. And so there's these big changes across the whole system. They're not big changes, but they're really looking at, systematic things versus like individual like okay we're gonna plant the you know this thing there and we're gonna put this 
you know, water well over there and we're going to put this lake right here. It's really about how do we make the system work better? Or, wow, this year it flooded a lot. Yeah. And this isn't how we want the water running through the property. So let's figure out the best way for the water to run through the property so it doesn't flood again. Same way, you know, we got overwhelmed because we onboarded 10 clients in a month. How can we yeah. make sure that things get, you know, run through the property so everything can get, um, you know, absorbed properly or delivered properly, however you want to yeah. apply it. Well, and the other implication there is, as far as what I'm visualizing, is that the uh, the way that that type of um, land would be set up is very overlapping. It, I think in America, we have our kind of curated, compartmentalized parts of the garden. You know, this is the grass, and then this is where the tomatoes go, and everything is sort of compartmentalized. But but I, I think what you're describing is something where it's all sort of on top of each other and inter interacting. Is that correct? Or is there still there's different zones of, like there's different okay. zones you know so you'll have a zone that i mean in permaculture there's different zones so for example if you're applying this to like a house you have in the states your your there's your zone one would be the zone that's closest to your house that's where you'd have your basil you know to run outside and grab basil for your cooking and your herbs mm. and your lettuces and the things that you need right away and that's designed there and that's designed in a way because it's going to need more care and more maintenance and more attention um, than maybe your zone six, which is going to be your food forest, which is probably, you know, 500, 600, 800, a thousand feet away from your house because you don't need to access that all the time. Um, and so it's, they're very intentionally designed the zones that as a whole system work together, but you also, as the human being in that system are able to flow through those based on your needs as well. Got it. Okay. So it's a mutual type of experience. So do you think that part of what, uh, like you're talking a lot about this literal garden and the lessons you're learning, which you then apply to business, right? Which help you grow and do better. Um, as a society in America, that's often very urbanized, um, living in concrete jungles. Um, are we missing out on a lot of those lessons? Well, I will tell you when I was I don't know if I was eight, 10, I was, you know, a kid, my parents had a garden and I can distinctly remember stomping around and being like, this is so stupid. I will <laughs> never, ever do this when I'm out of this house. And my parents were like, you just wait once you grow up, you know, you just wait. Um, and so I always laugh about that memory because <laughs> here I am like creating that. Um, but as far as whether we're missing out on it or not, it's really hard to have a garden if you don't if you don't have the time and energy and everything to dedicate to it. I mean, have you you have you ever had a garden? Um, my wife's does it, but I'm mostly not, um, uninvolved. So yeah, it's it's yeah. really difficult. And if you look at it on a scale of actually having food, like actually growing food that you're going to be able to consume and eat, mm -hmm. that even becomes more difficult because there's so much planning that has to go into that. Um, like when I first lived here, we co, um, we cohabitated with, um, a couple other, like a couple other people. Um, and we, we had probably 30 or 40 beds, um, of food we were planning. It was very large and we primarily grew what we ate. We had chickens and all, and all of those things. Um, and that was a great experience and probably wouldn't do it again. Um, <laughs> you know, like, like my, like my cohabitation piece is a little difficult, but it was a great experience. And I don't think that could be replicated in the United States. You yeah. know, like, I don't think we could take these ideals and be like, Hey, you know, suburban, let's get all these things. But there may be elements of that that can be replicated. Um, like community gardens, right. Or food forest. I mean, there, but there are also, well, hang on, so there's like community gardens and there's food forests. And I know some communities are, you know, making that a, like a thing where you don't, you, you don't even have to rent a plot. It comes with your home now. Mm. So there are things that are moving in that direction. Um, but I think it's really difficult because of the systems that are being set up in the States and yeah. some places it's illegal to harvest rainwater. You oh, can't wow. plant fruit trees because your HOA doesn't want flies or bugs uh... or whatever. So there's all these laws that have been put in place to actually make it pretty difficult to, and not on all states, but this isn't like, you know, every state has its own laws, every county has its own laws, but 
generally speaking, it's really hard to do something like this in the United States without running yeah. into like a lot of bureaucratic um, or zoning or, you know, issues like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, is there anything else you want to share that you didn't get a chance to, or any other wisdom you'd like to, to put out there as we wrap up here? You know, I mean, I think like, I really think that the only thing I would like to leave is just this concept of learning to really tune in to yourself and then tune out, um, you know, I don't want to say other people because it's tuning out the programs that you've already, like people we've been taught, we have programs that we've been taught from a young age. And so really being able to tune in and cultivating that art of finding a stillness to be able to tune in, um, because that's really that's really the secret to finding what the next, the next, the what's waiting for you on the other side of that. Um, and it's really what your, what your soul is burning to do. And so, um, you know, at that, that journey is different for everybody, but I just really want to emphasize the importance of that, of being able to find that stillness and really being able to listen to oneself. Um, because I think now more than ever, it's, it's harder to, to do. So just want to, yeah you know, highlight the importance of that. Um, you never know where you may end up if you do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, how can people connect with you? What are you up to? Where can they find you? Uh, well, if you guys you come down to Costa Rica, you can certainly uh, reach <laughs> out. Um, Twitter and LinkedIn are the best places to connect with me. It's just um, my name is my handle. So it's at Maria Joyner uh, for both Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, and I can also be reached via email, maria at founderskill.com. Cool. All right. We'll put those links in the page and uh, um, thank you very much for sharing your life with us today. Well, thanks for having me, Jason. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Share Life. For additional stories and systems to live better and work smarter, visit jasonscottmontoya.com. That's jasonscottmontoya.com. We look forward to having you listen in on the next episode of Share Life. Thank you.